Welcome to the Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon. Calvary meets in the Joppa Falston area between Baltimore and Bel Air, and our pastor is Josh Plantholt. Come join us on a Sunday. Our service info is at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. And now, here's this week's teaching. Happy Reformation Sunday. This is the 505th anniversary for the Reformation. Uh, And uh, technically it's tomorrow, but we celebrate it the closest Sunday. Uh, And uh, the the, the anniversary, because the Reformation happened over a long period of time, but uh, sort of the first domino that was uh, in the Reformation, if you can say such a thing, was Luther's nailing of the 95 Thesis on the door in Wittenberg. Uh, And tomorrow is the 505th anniversary. So again, happy Reformation Day. Uh, That's why we call ourselves Protestants. So it means protestant. We uh, protest uh, certain errors of church doctrine, of biblical doctrine. And so we stand on the truth of Scripture alone. With that, I'd like to turn to Scripture now. (laughs) Uh, If you would turn with me, I'd like to call your attention this morning to the 12th chapter of Revelation. And last week was fun, and this week's a lot of fun. So, you notice I say that every week I'm super excited. This is awesome. Uh, We're going to get a running start in verse 1, and some of this will sound familiar from last week, but uh, I was sneaky last week, and I didn't tell you everything I wanted to tell you, and so we're going to get to some of that this morning. Uh, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant, was crying out in birth pains, in the agony of giving birth. And here is a picture of believing Israel and her uh, giving birth to a son who is the Christ, the son of David in Psalm 2. This is Jesus our Lord. Uh, Now as Israel is about to bring forth the Messiah, something happens. Verse 3, insert uh, evil. And another sign appeared in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his heads seven diadems. Let's pause for a second. This hideous dragon, as we will read, is pure evil. And in his vileness, he will seek to devour this child. And notice, too, that the, that the woman is clothed in the light of the sun. So that's beautiful. But this dragon is, is clothed in red scales. He's the color of blood. And also notice this red dragon has seven heads, ten horns, and seven diadems. The dragon has seven heads chiastically, so he may wear seven diadems. Diadems meaning crowns. So he has seven heads to wear seven crowns. This dragon is claiming for himself a seven a complete, a total, a perfect rule and power. But please understand, just because the bully claims the playground is his, (laughs) it doesn't make it true. Well, just because the dragon claims authority and wears many crowns, that doesn't make his claim legitimate, now does it? And after all, Satan is called what? The father of... 
lies. He's a liar. Now also notice he has ten horns. Horns in scripture signify power and strength. And he has ten of them. It's a perfect list. A list, uh, a perfect list or number of power. And interesting, as we add up 7 plus 10 plus 7, we have 24. Now where else in Revelation have we seen 24 before? Well, the 24 elders. Maybe the point is that this dragon is his own counsel. Satan rejected God's rule, God's way, God's wisdom, and now he seeks, to, seeks and lives to rule and counsel himself. And when you meet someone who's truly evil, and let me tell you, they're out there, and sometimes they're in the church. But when you meet someone who's truly evil, they cannot be reasoned with. And here he is his own counselor. He is his own God. Verse 4. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to get birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. So then Satan takes his tail and he knocks down a third of the stars in the sky. As Revelation laid out in chapter 1 and throughout the Bible, stars in scripture are messengers. And sometimes human and sometimes angelic. So Satan knocking down a third of the stars in the sky would be angels. These are heavenly messengers. And most pastors and scholars agree. This is talking about Satan's fall and his taking a third of the angels into his rebellion against God. Can you imagine a third of heaven going, oh, we're going to follow Satan. Crazy. That should also tell you how crafty he is. And it is from this third of heaven that fell that Satan has gathered his army, his demons from the angels who have followed him in his rebellion. You ever want to know where so much evil came from? Well, Revelation just told you. Verse 5, she gave birth to a male child, who one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Aha! Satan wears seven crowns. Meaning he asserts himself as king of the nations. But here comes the child who God says is the legitimate heir to the thrones, the legitimate ruler of the nations. Later in Revelation, it says that Jesus wears many diadems. Uh, It's almost as if Jesus is going to be introduced with too many crowns to count. (laughs) Uh, So there's a political struggle happening here. And what we we see here is that Satan, the dragon, is completely and totally in rebellion against God's order. He wants no counsel outside of himself. He he, He wants the angels to himself. He demands the thrones for himself. He claims power unto himself. Everything about this dragon, everything about Satan here, screams rebellion. Now, before we move on, I think this would be an appropriate place to have a little application. This is why when a culture that rebels against God, 
and stop striving for godly biblical morality and living. We deconstruct. That's why when a culture does that, it starts to become beast-like. Paul talks about this, uh, about people who rebel against God. They gave up the knowledge of God for, for foolish things. And Paul says in Romans uh, one twenty eight, And since they did not sit, uh, see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. Do you see this today? Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. So we just keep inventing new ways to be evil. Disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. When a culture rejects God, it celebrates evil. A people that rebel against God, they start to become like the beast, like the dragon. Now, I was tempted not to add this, but then I was more tempted to add this. So I want to, there's this passage I couldn't get off my mind in in Genesis chapter 3. It's a story of the fall. It starts at verse 6. I want to read this to you. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food uh, and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they uh, sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, God, who told you you were naked? So Adam and Eve, they made themselves fig clothes, uh, fig leaf clothes, clothes from the garden of God, and then... Uh, Verse 20, the man called his uh, wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. Very similar to cattle there. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Why did God change their clothes? Have you ever thought about that? Also, first hunter in the Bible was God. (laughs) Right? Uh, So pro hunting. Uh, But uh, they also had clothes from fig leaves. So they already had an outfit. And then God changes their outfit to animal skins. And the answer, the question is why? And the answer is because if they were going to follow a beast, they would be dressed as a beast. 
If they were going to reject the garden, they were going to be stripped of the garden. The Bible's very clear on this. The more that we rebel against God, the more beast-like we become. Go a little further in Genesis. We have Jacob and Esau. What's Esau covered in? Hair. He has to put goat hair on his arm. And remember, he was a wild man. He sold his birthright for a bowl of red stew. Picture maybe some blood there. Uh, And he's a hunter. He neglected the father's duty, the father's work. And yet the father favored his own son and made a god out of his own belly. But you notice Esau was covered in hair. Again, it was a picture of his beast-likeness that's happening here. So the more that we rebel against God and his word, the more beast-like we become, the more antichrist we become, the more dragon-like we become. Now, like most rebellions, uh, failure is met with fury. (laughs) Does a bully like it when his plan is stopped? Nope, he just stomps even harder. And the dragon failed at killing the child, and now he's going to rage. Verse 7. Now war arose in heaven. Can you imagine what that looked like? A war in heaven? Uh, What did they use for war? Laser guns? You know what? What's the war in heaven? Well, we we know in scripture that there's swords. There's heavenly swords. Remember Jesus stood before Balaam and his donkey with a sword. Uh, We we see that uh, with Joshua. How he stood in Joshua. Remember remember he says, are you with me? Are you with our enemy? And Jesus just says, no. Great. Awesome. Uh, We see the same thing with the cherub in Genesis chapter 3. They had flaming swords which turned every which way. I don't know what that means, but that sounds crazy and awesome. Uh, And so so we know there's some sort of heavenly swords. Uh, so we, we, I think our best biblical mental picture is a sword battle in heaven. Uh, verse 7. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. First two thoughts here. First, isn't it interesting that Michael fights against Satan? Like If you were just going to do this, right? If you were going to write this story, make it up yourself. You have the apex of evil, Satan, the dragon. Wouldn't you have the apex of good? Wouldn't you have Jesus ride out to fight the dragon? Yet it's Michael. In Daniel 10, Michael is a mighty warrior angel. In Jude, he is an archangel. In 1 Thessalonians 4.16, Paul seems to imply Michael will sound the trumpet of the return of the Lord. That's awesome. Uh, And it is Michael who leads heaven's armies against the rebellious beast. And we're going to circle back to that in a few minutes. Uh, Secondly, if you remember from Revelation 5.11, and you're going to see here how I am still a little bit like a boy (laughs) in which big battles are awesome. And so I was picturing this big battle in my head. Uh, And if we remember from from Revelation 5.11, Uh, The angels in heaven were numbered for us as myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Do you remember that? A myriad is 10,000, and a myriad of myriads is 10,000 groups of 10,000s. So a myriad of a myriad would be 100 million. And in Revelation 5, it is in the plural, meaning many hundreds of millions of angels are worshiping God in Revelation chapter 5, which is future. Okay, so... 
We know that there's hundreds of millions of angels worshiping God at this present moment. Now we were just told that way back when, Satan with a th took a third of the angels with him. So he has at least 100 million troops to attack heaven with. Think of the scale of that. The total number of soldiers that fought in World War II were around 70 million. So this war in heaven dwarfs World War II in number. Now, what about these angels? We know according to 2 Kings 19.35, one angel, the angel of the Lord, killed 185,000 Assyrian troops in a night. So these, this battle is the battle of battles is what's being described here. The scope of this is massive. Um, you didn't need to know that, but I thought it was really cool, and I just had to tell you. Uh, so Satan takes his hundred million demons and storms heaven. Ha-ha. <laughs> and Satan fails. He fails at defeating God. He fails at defeating the plans of the Son. He fails at defeating Michael, the angels. Uh, and then verse 8, as we read, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? There was no longer any place for them in heaven. Oh, whether this event has already happened or has yet to happen, Satan used to be allowed, Job 1.6, to have in heaven to accuse mankind. But whenever this war happens, there will no longer any place for them in heaven. God has sovereignly ordained that heaven will be a place that will be free from, back to Romans 1, all manner of unrighteousness. Heaven will be a place of no evil, covetousness, malice. A place of no envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Heaven will be free of all gossip. Praise God. That probably means there's no social network up there. <laughs> Facebook is gone. Woohoo! Uh, a place free of all gossip and slander, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolishness, faith, faithlessness, heartlessness, ruthlessness, nor any approval of sin. There's no place for it in heaven. Sounds like heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Verse 9. <clears throat> and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And that's today's text. Awesome. Three thoughts, and you're lucky it's three. First, a question we should ask and answer is, why is Satan in heaven? Right? Like, why are you letting him in there in the first place? And Revelation tells us, Satan's up in heaven to accuse the brethren. To accuse us. Again, as we see in the book of Job, he is the accuser. 
When you take someone, God, our God is a just God. And, a, and he's the judge. And a judge does not make a deliberation until he has heard both sides. So he allows the accuser to come before him. Satan stands before God and points out the godly. And he brings accusations against them. But according to today's passage, Satan accuses God's people of wrongdoing both day and night. All day and all night he Points, wood point. And full transparency here, I'm personally struggling with the timing of all of this. I, I cannot tell if this war has already happened or has not happened. And scholars are fighting over whether this has already happened or not happened. Uh, just the timing of, of chapters 11 and 12 in Revelation are very, very difficult to discern. Uh, and personally, and I could be tipped either way, but personally... Uh, and if I'm wrong, give me a little grace here. I think verses 1 through 11 happened around the life of Christ. And verses 12 through 17 is the future. Uh, again, I could be wrong, but that's just where I'm presently landing. Uh, but either way, Satan points at people like you and me. And day and night, he raises charge against them. Now listen, verse 9 just told us Satan is the serpent from Genesis chapter 3. Was the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 a dummy? <laughs> it says he was the shrewdest of all creatures. He was very intelligent. Satan is very smart, very crafty, and good with words. And so when he accuses us, he comes well prepared. He comes well armed and well informed. In Acts 19.15, the demons knew Paul by name. And today, they also know God's faithful people. And because they operate in the darkness, they are aware of when we enter into that darkness. Isn't that scary? They are aware of what we have done. They are aware of what we seek to keep out of the light. They are aware of our sins. And if God allowed it, Satan could stand before him and his 24 elders and day and night Satan could prove that you don't deserve entrance into heaven. And he'd be right. Think about all of your sin, every drop of it. Because we're really good at kicking that under the carpet, aren't we? Oh, that was in the past. <laughs> Imagine every drop of sin brought up to the present as if it just happened. Imagine every one of them then was given a presentation by Satan. The second greatest lawyer <laughs> ever created. And after day and night bringing all these accusations against you, after 12 hours... Of describing what a piece of filth you are. You'd be inclined to agree with them. Satan in many ways could prove that you do not deserve entrance into heaven. And in many ways he would be right. Except that the child was born. And Jesus came as a babe 
wrapped in swaddling clothes. And when that child came, heaven, it's almost as if the sky over Bethlehem ripped open from God's excitement. And the heavens were filled with angels screaming praise. The child has come. Peace has come. Goodwill has come. And then Jesus lived a perfect life. Can you imagine that? A perfect life. You know the most amazing miracle Jesus performed was that he filled the Shema. That he loved the Lord God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his mind, and with all of his strength for every second of his life. We haven't been able to do that for one. He did it for over 30 years. Loved God perfectly. And then he died. A perfect death. He was what all of Leviticus was pointing to. A lamb without spot and blemish. And he who knew no sin became sin so that we may be saved. And he died the perfect death. And then guess what? In three days he rose again. God said it is good. And let him burst out of that tomb. The sacrifice was accepted. And then he ascended. And what did Revelation 12 just tell us? He ascended to the right hand of the Father and now sits on his throne. And because this is a reality, Paul said in the great eight, there is therefore... Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We must note, that doesn't say Buddha. Doesn't say there's no condemnation for those who pay their taxes and mow their neighbor's lawn. For those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. And he condemned sin in the flesh. Whose flesh? God's flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Amen. Yes. There's an old hymn I was looking Every once in a while I get excited and I just start reading old hymns. you got a weird pastor. This is just what I do in my free time. And I ran into this old hymn. They don't even know who wrote it. Born into Adam, dying we were. We had a sickness no one could cure. God his son sending, old Adam ending. He is dead, we are free. He is dead, we are free. Now we're rejoicing, standing in grace. Oh, hallelujah, sin is erased. God in us flowing, in our hearts growing. We are saved in his life. We are saved in his life. Loved ones, please understand what today's text is saying here. Through Jesus Christ, Satan has no influence on human destiny by accusing people before God. Today's text tells us that Satan's accusations against you, against me, against our families, our kids, our grandkids, our great-great-great-great-grandkids, in legal terms, Satan's case against us has been thrown out 
And Satan not only lost the case against God's people, but was then kicked out of the court from ever making another case. The victory of the Son of Jesus was so thorough, so overwhelming, so conclusively completed, that when Jesus said, it is finished, and we were covered in his blood, the blood that he shed on the cross, that the Father and the 24 elders have absolutely no need to ever hear the devil's case against you. Ever again. Now don't misunderstand. God still examines us because we can hear this and go antinomian and think, I'm going to sin, sin, sin. Every day's Mardi Gras, right? No. <laughs> At the same time, through faith, the adoption is not even in question. But our loving Father still spanks us and disciplines us and corrects us and examines us because that's what a good father does. That doesn't mean we can sin, 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 wee, wee, wee all the day long. No, no, no. But are we children of God? Yes. Yes. Satan, I don't need to hear it anymore. <laughs> now, Satan at the same time, because he has been barred from heaven, he still brings us to court. Did you know that? But to earthly courts. He's been kicked out of heaven's court, so he goes to a lesser court. And don't we see this with Jesus? Before Pilate, before Herod, before the high priest. Don't we see this with Stephen? Don't we see this with Peter? Don't we see this with Paul? Satan has been barred from heaven's courts, but that does not stop his rage. Because does a bully respond well to no? No. They just stomp their feet. So Satan drags us into earthly courts and slanders us possibly whenever possible. And he does this to deceive, even if possible, as the scriptures would say, the elect. Satan loves working with Herod's. He loves working with pharaohs and pilots. I was thinking about this the other day. When Satan, remember at the supper he says, he who I dip this bread and give it to is my betrayer. And, Satan, or, and, and then Judas eats the bread and it says, Satan entered into him. What's, what does Judas immediately do? He took Jesus to court. It's the first thing Satan did when he entered into Judas. How do I get Jesus arrested? But take courage, loved ones. Jesus is showing us today that any and every accusation hurled against us on earth are not accepted as evidence in heaven's higher court. In the court above all courts in Christ, we have already been justified by God Almighty. Who cares what Pilate thinks <laughs> when the father says, oh, this is my child. Remember, Pilate says, I, I have the authority. Wasn't that Pilate or was that Herod? Pilate, one of them. Pilate, it was Pilate, I'm right. Uh -huh. uh, Pilate says, don't you know I have the authority to do whatever I want? And Jesus looks at him and he goes, the only authority you have has been given to you by my father. Ha <laughs> 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 ha, cute. It's like the Tower of Babel. God has to squint to look at it. Oh, they're building a little castle down there. You think, you, think the, you think the Supreme Court, God's going to go, well, if they ruled on that, oh boy, he doesn't care. 
He doesn't care. God is not only revealing us today that Jesus has silenced the accuser, Satan, for us, but through faith in Jesus Christ, through the resurrected Son, God has also rejected all worldly accusations against us as well. Someone ever slander you when it hurts? I have. I'm a pastor. You get used to it. Someone ever say something nasty about you? Brush it off. Brush it off. You've already been declared righteous before God Almighty. Now secondly, the war in heaven is told in a way to make us realize Satan's loss was inevitable. The dragon made war on heaven and he and his army attacked. And the father and the son saw the dragon and his hundred million man demon army. And God, it says, God doesn't even get off his throne. He sent Michael to go do it. (laughs) Satan, with all of his might and all of his ferocity, attacked God. And God didn't even feel the need to stand up to deal with it. Here's the point. Hell has nothing that can overcome heaven. Satan can form no weapon against you that can prosper, Isaiah tells us. People, People want to talk bad about you. People want to say terrible things about you. People think so little of you. Bring it on. Jesus tells us, you know Jesus tells us woe. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. You need to be worried when no one's talking bad about you. If the beast and his beastly people hate you, that's a good thing. And if they all like you, Tread carefully. Loved ones, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, then hell will raise up against you, but it cannot prosper. And this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is our vindication through faith in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. Again, if you have faith in the Son, then you can stand on the promises of God and know and claim and rejoice that through Jesus' blood, all of the enemy's accusations, all of your accusers' cases are as good as already dismissed. Isn't that awesome? Now thirdly, post-Tenebras Luke's. Today is the 505th anniversary of Luther's nailing of the 95 Thesis. And from that moment, the the Reformation, a a reforming, a reclaiming of long-forgotten biblical truths was underway. A a return to the truth. And the five tenets of of the Reformation was, of course, for sola scriptura, that scripture is the final authority of the church. If I say something as the pastor that contradicts the word of God, I'm wrong. If the Pope says something that contradicts the word of God, the Pope's wrong. If some guru somewhere says something that contradicts the word, the guru's wrong. Do you see? Scripture is the final authority of the church. Also, solo Christus, that we are justified in Christ alone. Only by Christ are we saved. Solo fide, believers receive redemption and salvation only through faith. We're not saved 
by faith plus good deeds. Because that, that held for a thousand years in the church. If I sinned, I needed to make penance and whip myself. And walk outside in the snow barefoot. And maybe God would see my agony and take pity on me before I, he plunges me into the fires of hell. Do you see what a trap that would be? And then, and then oh my goodness, I, I, I have to... I gotta build orphanages. I gotta save the poor. I gotta do, I gotta do, I gotta do, I gotta do. And sooner or later, you just end up being so busy for God, you don't love Him at all. But we have to understand that it's through faith alone. Doc you know, said this years and years ago. I loved it. How do you receive a gift? You say, Thank you. We walk in the freeness of faith. It's uh, all we have to do is believe and it's done, it's completed, it's finished. And solo gratia, did we deserve this faith? Do we deserve this gift? Do we deserve salvation? No, if you think yes, you're not listening. No, it's all of God's grace. I'm saved because God's good. <laughs> you're saved not because you're good. You're saved because God's good. It's all the grace. The definition of grace is an unmerited gift. You didn't earn it. All you can do is receive it and say thank you. And finally, maybe the, maybe the overarching solo is solo dio gloria, which is, and it's all for God's glory. I'm saved. God has saved me, and I am so thankful. And He's made me a good father, and I'm so thankful. And, and I try to be a good friend, and I'm so thankful. And I, I no longer can watch shows with filth in it. It just makes me feel horrible. And so he's renewing my mind, and I'm so thankful. And it's not because I'm wonderful. <laughs> God gets the glory. Someone wants to enter into my marriage and, and, and an attempt, an affair pop, could, could pop up. I say, no way. Crazy. God gets the glory. You see, it's all about God's glory. Anything good that he's doing in us, it's because he's good. And so, solo dio, solo dio gloria, he gets the glory for it. Now, the Reformers had a saying, and I think it fits very nicely into today's text. And, and this saying was in many ways the drumbeat of the Reformation. Post tenebras lux. And that means after darkness, light. The drumbeat of the Reformation, and Calvin coined this phrase, was post tenebras lux. After darkness, light. If you go to Geneva and you see the, the, the statues they have of Zwingli and Knox and Calvin and Luther and Amunzer, they have all these guys. And above them, carved in marble, is that phrase, post tenebras lux, after darkness, light. And Calvin, and to Calvin and the reformers, that meant that after the darkness of centuries of gospel absent church life, the true light of the gospel being reclaimed and renewed back into the life of the church was a present joy in reality. It was the light after nearly a millennia of darkness. 
The gospel was reclaimed in the life of the church. After a thousand years of darkness, light had come and a reclaiming of the truth of sola scriptura. But as we look at the Old Testament and as we look at the New Testament and as we look at church history and as we look at the Reformation and as we look at our lives, post-Tenebras looks is in every age. There is always a present darkness. There are always new evils. There are always beastly people and beastly nations and beastly courts who are inspired and led by that serpent of old. But today's text tells us with a thunderous joy that to all the brethren, to all those who are in the Son, to all those who bow the knee to King Jesus, post tenebras lukes, after darkness light. Listen, it is a blessed thing to be a believer. And it is a joyous thing to know God. And it is a beautiful thing to assemble as his church. And it is refreshing to drink from his word and the fellowship of his people. You know, as the church, we can kind of grow pessimistic. Oh, Satan's out to get me. Oh, life is hard. Oh, woe is me. God doesn't talk about the church that way. Yes, we are to be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. There are so many blessings of being in the kingdom. There is so much light gifted to God's people in this life. But while we are on this side of heaven, the reality is there is still a near and present darkness. There is still the evil one and his legions pouring out their wrath upon the fallen world. But the comfort that we can get from today's text is to know post-Lenebris Lux, Tenebris Lux, that even if Satan rallies his entire army to crush you and your house, and even if he accuses you day and night and all of his agents and all online and all over difficult people, and even if the father of lies is right, if there is such a thing, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, then your future is light. Then you are heading to a place where the darkness has been thrown out because God said there is no more room for it up here. <laughs> and this is the inheritance of the children of God. Light eternal. How does the book of Revelation end? And I looked and I behold the city and the lamb was the light. There was no more need for sun or moon for the, li the light of the Lamb shined upon the nations forever. Amen. We dwell eternally in the light of what Jesus Christ has provided for his people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for all that you have provided for us. We thank you for your word. We thank you that after darkness, light. We thank you that in our future is light everlasting, light eternal. And God, we do pray. We do pray that you would be with us and strengthen us. 
And don't let us give in to the pessimism of darkness presently. You told us that your kingdom was to be a city on a hill. Then God, let us shine. Let us go into our communities. Let us enter into conversations bright and shining. (laughs) And all for your glory. And when the evil one stands up to accuse us, God, let us take comfort that his word is nothing. He is a liar. And that ultimately we derive our worth and our forgiveness through one, through you, Father. And you have provided a way through your only begotten son. And so we thank you and, 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 and we receive you. God, we pray that if anyone in here does not know you as their Lord and Savior, that they may come to you so that after this darkness there will be light and not more darkness. May they, from this moment forth, decide that they will live for you and your glory, that they will be dead and be born again in a new creation with a new Lord and may not be like the beast who is a counselor unto himself. God, we pray for those who need special prayer that they would receive it by the double doors. And God, we do pray yet again that you would heal those who are struggling with sickness and pain. Please, God, touch your people, not because we deserve it, but because you're good. And touch us not so that we may find more comfort, but that we may glorify you. Please, Lord Jesus, we ask in your good name. And all who agreed said, amen. Let's stand and worship. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Calvary, Baltimore. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email with your questions, prayer requests, or just to say hi. Our email address is calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate to support the work God is doing through Calvary, Baltimore, go to calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. And if you're in the area, stop by on a Sunday morning. For directions and service times, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. If you can't be here in person, we also live stream on our website and on our Facebook page. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Until next time, as Pastor Josh says, study the Word to live the Word to share the Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon.